0: And welcome to the Limerick Chamber City Centre podcast. My name is Dee Ryan. I'm the CEO with Limerick Chamber and I'm joined by
1: Sean Golden, Chief Economist and Director of Policy with Limerick Chamber.
0: Hi, Sean. How are you? Not too bad, D. Well, we're here today, Sean, to talk about a huge piece of work that you did for us this year in our policy department, and that is our Limerick City Centre report. First of all, thank you because I know you put hundreds of hours into this. So thank you for all your work in it. For those of us who have an interest in the city centre, but don't have the capacity to take the time to read your great detailed report, which can be found on the Limerick Chamber website, by the way, www.limerickchamber.ie under influence section. We're here today to talk through, I suppose, to do a summary of what the key points are and what the key recommendations from us are for the different stakeholders. The report is divided into three sections. The first looks at the policy context. The second section is on the census twenty twenty two results for Limerick City, and then a city centre survey that you conducted um, over the autumn period. So. Looking at it in those three sections, Sean, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what we learned from Census 22?
1: Yeah, so I suppose, look, as you said, it was a significant amount of work. Um, I think you're lucky that I don't bill by the hour in the chamber um, or we'd be in trouble. But really what we did with it was we wanted to get the hard factual data in terms of the census stuff. We also wanted to do a survey of both Limerick Chamber members, and the general public general stakeholders and then i suppose he wanted to feed that into recommendations that we've gotten from our own members from the chamber board and from wider stakeholders in the city center so i suppose we'll kick off with the census stuff so there were some pretty interesting topics in it as part of our overall project i think we should start with that we actually defined the city center Um, it's not a very easy thing to do. There's no quick and fast definition. It's not really defined in the context of a core urban area, central business district. A lot of the time, the city centre is part of the wider city, the metropolitan area, and in a lot of cases, the suburbs. So one of the things that we wanted to do with this was boil it down into that core city centre area.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because over the course of the last number of years working together, when you and I have been lobbying for increased housing in the city, Technically speaking, housing developed in the suburbs, in Mungret, Castle Troy, Raheem, those at Corbley, that has been defined as city delivery but of course when we talk about city centre revitalisation you and I are talking about the core Georgian quarter medieval area what we would know as the core shopping part of Limerick City isn't that right
1: yeah you're 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 on the ball I think if you look at the likes of Project Ireland 2040 and we looked at it as part of the policy review for this report as well is that the area that they're looking out you know it nearly extends out to Groody So technically you could be building houses in Groody or kind of out towards the Coona area and they would hit the metrics for Project Ireland 2040 in terms of delivering housing in urban areas but obviously when me and you and other chamber stakeholders and other city centre stakeholders talk about the city centre normally we're talking about O'Connell Street and maybe a 10 or 15 minute walk each way so that was something that was very important to do as part of this we needed to know what area we were talking about it, it it's not ambiguous there's a map with red lines that shows yeah. what we're actually speaking Cause, about
0: because you put it to people didn't you you yeah. put it in as part of the survey you asked people what what do you think we're talking about when we talk about city centre. And what was the consensus?
1: Yeah, the consensus really was it was the smallest area we, we provided to people. So I think, you know, we give people four options. Option A, option B, and option C all had pictures accompanying them um, and an area outlined. And then we give a final option which was tell us what your definition is if if the previous trade did didn't meet it um and the one that won was kind of the smallest city center area really around the area of arthur's key you know up parnell street um kind of cut off there just before saint joseph street so it was a kind of really focused area and from that then we were able to go into the cso and pull out census data and that was to give us a real granular look of that area
0: and how granular does the census data go like
1: it goes pretty granular and um, I think the problem with it, it you know it's only produced every four years we've been very unlucky over the last couple of years with COVID and the rest of it we had to wait some, some, some time longer you know and we'll get to it later on one of the key recommendations were you know if We are serious about urban development and we're serious about Project Ireland 2040. We cannot be waiting four or five years for this data to come out. We need to be looking at it on a yearly basis. Now that's going to be very difficult. um, But we certainly need to be doing it for kind of the five cities in Ireland. You know, um, it's, it's of critical importance, mm-hmm. um, especially when we take into account our population growth, the need for housing, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, city, the census data, it goes granular, it goes down to household, age, occupation. It tells us how people are heating their homes, what they have access to there, you know, if they're single, if they're a couple, if they're renting, how they... Um, how they're renting their house—is it from an approved housing body or is it from a private landlord, etc., etc.? So it's very broad. Um, but what you have to do is you have to drill down and kind of select the areas that you're talking about um, or that you want to look at and join them all up, which is a pretty long process. But we were able to laser in and focus on the area that the survey gave us and then match that up pretty much exactly with the CSO data.
0: Okay, so talk me through it. What did we learn from Census 22 about what we're defining as the core city centre area?
1: Yeah, so we we learned a lot. Um, You know, some of it is pretty interesting, some of it wasn't surprising at all. I think if you look at the core city centre, we're looking at a population of about 7,700. So that's actually about a 28% growth since the previous population in 2016. So we're doing all right in that area in terms of core city centre growth. I think if you were to drill that down into you know, the demographics of what age people are, there's some interesting findings there. So what we've seen is there was a a decrease in the number of kind of really young children under four years of age compared to what it was in 2016. And what the data pyramid kind of tells us is that the people that were in the city centre in 2016 have kind of just moved on in age and we haven't really replenished that too well. Now, a lot of this is supported by other data as well. It's kind of, it's it's a bit of a middle-aged city. Um, if you were to split the city down by generational brackets millennials make up about 50 percent of the population now um
0: millennials now being in their 30s exactly yeah. so i was yeah. just going
1: to say you yeah. know i'm a millennial Wouldn't um, like to be referred I,
0: to as middle age but no you know.
1: no well you know and just just in terms of those age brackets like i'm a millennial um but i have to realize at the same time that i am now in my 30s and it's not 2009 anymore so while it is still a relatively young city it's actually getting the younger cohorts in that's that's critical as well to replace people as they get old because one of the things we found from the report as well is that when people are getting older and people are starting to have families is that they don't stay in the city centre okay now
0: so when you said that the the percentage of people living in the city centre or children like under fives mm. has declined it's not that they've Aged also with the census uh, And are still in the city centre They've actually moved out Those families have moved
1: out In, In some cases yeah Sometimes they would have aged out of that bracket But if you look at the other data that we have in it A lot of it points to people that want to raise families in the city centre they don't think there's houses big enough okay they don't think there's enough green space A number of times in the survey we got comments that there isn't room for dogs in apartments okay or houses important. so yeah. these yeah. are all things that people obviously deem very important in yeah. terms of their family makeup into the future so you know a lot of the recommendations we looked at was how do we actually Make a city centre where it's attractive to those people, yeah. that it's not just attractive to single people or smaller families, etc. Okay. So, you know, one of the things we found from a pure kind of marital status point of view is that 64% of the city centre is actually single. Now, okay. those people might be in relationships, but they're not formal relationships like a marriage. You know, 27% are, are married, it's very interesting. But if you drill down to, into the data again for families, you know, 47% of families in the city centre don't have kids. Okay. So okay. All, so it's
0: small households. Yeah. Typically.
1: Exactly. In the city yeah. centre. So I mean, that's not uncommon for cities. Mm-hmm. But I think if you were to go abroad and look at some other European cities, the housing infrastructure and other infrastructure is probably more cohesive to an all you know life cycle family, yeah. where you can have a space where you can get your kids brought up in a bigger apartment, whatever. There's a park around the corner you know, and you can live out your life there. Um, Not something we really have here at the moment. You know, while we have a high proportion of apartments and the rest of it, they were very much built with smaller households in mind. Mm -hmm. And I think if you were to look at the other people that actually have kids in the city centre, something like 46% thereabouts are one or two kids. So there's nobody really with big families in the city center Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. what you want, I suppose, for a vibrant city centre is a diverse population of people from single people to couples, to people mm-hmm. with kids, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the moment, we're kind of very much skewing to, to one side, mm-hmm. which isn't really unusual for Irish cities.
0: Mm-hmm. But I
1: suppose the whole point of the city centre report was how do we prepare ourselves for the future? How of do you, where, yeah, yeah, where we know Limerick can be and how do, how a, a do we A more
0: sustainable there? future for the city centre. How do we use that space in the core city centre area in a in a meaningful way, into the future.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you, if you bring the whole thing back to, we'll say retail, for example, mm-hmm. and or even vibrancy of services and retail offering in mm-hmm. the city centre, like Limerick Chamber firmly believes that best way to tackle that is get people living in the city centre do, yeah. and have those facilities in place where it's attractive to live in the city centre and you're not just renting in the city centre until you can get the money together to buy a house in castle Troy or Raheen or whatever which is becoming mm-hmm. increasingly difficult for people anyway um there's a, another thing that's interesting from the the census data was the population by citizenship so 38% of the citizens of the city centre were Irish Um, following that 25% were non-EU then 18% were part of kind of the the EU 27 and then you know there's a large cohort of not stated at around 17% and the United Kingdom making up a a minuscule 2% so you know you could say that 4 out of every 10 people in the city centre are Irish and the remaining kind of 6 out of 10 are from a totally different background citizenship
0: Okay. And of of course, when you say Irish, you mean born in the state of Ireland, as opposed to new Irish uh, living in the city centre. And is is what you're seeing there typical of Irish cities around the country now or European cities?
1: Yeah, in in, in some way, I suppose it's done by citizenship. Mm -hmm. Um, So it means, you know, if someone has a passport you know, and they're an Irish citizen, they'll be classed as this. Okay. Um, so it's not necessarily that you had to be born here and grow okay, up here okay, or whatever. Okay, okay, you know, okay. you could be an engineer from wherever else and you come over and you've been here for a decade or two decades and you get your, your passport and now you're counted um, yeah. in, in these stats as Irish, yeah. you know. Um, it seems pretty common for Irish cities that the city centre is more, I suppose, diverse than the rest of the kind of yeah, yeah, wider yeah. urban area. Um, So it was interesting to look at. And I think that kind of follows on to a lot of benefits that the city centre could have as well. Because of that, there's a very wide spoken array of languages in the city
0: centre. This is really interesting. Yeah. So I
1: think like when you're thinking of trying to attract business... Um, And something, you know, people that are brought through the Irish education system don't really excel at is having a second language. Um, You know, we do English and that's about it. And for people like me, you can barely speak English, Uh, you know, so it might be trouble to to get a, a second language. But we actually have a workforce here that have a plethora of languages from around the globe. You know, there was a massive cohort of not stated. So that was about 75%. So not stated means that on census night, they decided to not fill in that section. So it does leave data gaps. So I suppose it's something to be mindful of when people are reading the report. Yeah. But I think, you know, Polish is 17%, French is 4% and Spanish is 4%. Fantastic. So if you're looking to bring international jobs to somewhere that requires English and another European language or another language completely... Mm-hmm then Limerick is a good place to be. Mm -hmm, And we've seen that with our inward jobs announcements in the the past. You know, one of the things they come here for is the educated people. But if we properly take advantage of this language proficiency... In the city centre. In the city centre, we can do even better. Now, look, that comes with, uh, I suppose, pros and cons. Unfortunately, about 15% of um, foreign language speakers don't speak English well or don't speak English at all okay. so 15% of is quite high it goes up to about 100-200 I think it is mm-hmm. so you'd probably need to get better in terms of improving that English proficiency to activate those people so they can I suppose you know get involved in society get in, get involved in work etc etc you know I suppose very unworryingly from, from my perspective is the amount of people that can actually speak Irish um, you know in the census for the city centre it was only about 13% so it's it's incredibly low um and it's something that we went on to make a lot of recommendations around that we can kind of get to later um but if you think from kind of a a cultural importance you know it would be great to get those numbers up but i think as well from a tourism perspective it's very important to have that kind of embedded culture as well um so it's something that like i was in shop street in galway over the summer some of the shops had their names in irish and i thought it fitted in well it fitted in with the aesthetic of the west of ireland and the Gaeltacht areas mm-hmm. um and it's something you can imagine tourists would kind of like the novelty of if they see it but i think it goes much more than that into kind of preserving what, what little we have in terms of language
0: yeah i mean and i guess the language is as old as the pyramids something to be cherished and probably not surprising that the that the proficiency in Irish language is that low given how many of the people living in the core city centre area are not originally from Ireland or wouldn't count themselves as Irish citizens so and not necessarily reflective of the wider city and county where as we know there's a huge number of Gaeil Scalna and, uh, and secondary schools and and Irish language clubs so yeah. it is definitely an area it, it, and, and we could as you refer to in your recommendations which we'll get to
1: yeah. play, lean into there, it, absolutely we could lean into but if you think in the kind of maybe not the core city centre area that we've defined it but definitely in the proximity to the core city centre you know you've like a Gaeil Scalna and um, Nick You have a couple of primary schools as well that are around. So there's actually an OK concentration of schools here. Um, It's just, again, how do we lean into that? How do we embed it as part of of society? Absolutely.
0: And you have ideas which we will come back to. Take us on. So what about households, homeownership? You know, how are these people living?
1: Yeah, so I, I, I think the composition of households is very interesting. You know, a third of households are just one person a single person living in a more than likely an apartment to themselves. What's more interesting is the second most popular category is two or more non-related persons renting. So it's about 27%. Essentially what that means is two people renting that don't know each other. You know, a room goes up on daft and someone moves in um, or it's friends of that are moving in together etc so it kind of points a lot to people that are renting um not many people would buy a house with someone that they're not related to it's a, okay. it's, it's a recipe for disaster but i think that points a lot to um how people come together to rent in the city center okay. and when we come on to the rental statistics in a minute as well um it's up around to 67 percent of people rent from a private landlord in the city center so it's quite it's quite high Um, Something that that people in in Limerick might not realise is the city centre is actually quite dense. And we call for a lot of density in apartments and the rest of it. But in the area that we define, it's about 87% apartments, which is is pretty good um, in terms of overall composition. You know, if you were to look at geodirectory data for apartments, Limerick actually does very well in terms of composition of apartments versus overall stock. But that's more reflective of the bad Irish situation where we don't do apartments well. It's, and, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and when you think about those apartments and uh, people living in those flats as they may be, is it the situation that a lot of that is, is legacy? It's actually a result of our Georgian core and the Georgian history of the city where people would have lived in a much more dense uh, way in the past.
1: Yeah, some of, some of it is. Um, you know, a lot of those Georgian apartments would be multi-dwelling units now where you know someone is on the first floor or someone different on the second floor, etc. Now we still don't utilise that to the best of its ability for sure, but I think there's also a number of kind of newer apartment developments as well in the in the city centre like Road to Street, down around Bedford Road, that area, down towards the Dock Road, etc So there is a lot around um compared to like the overall stock. So it's it's something that's pretty interesting. Um you know, I, I think another thing as well that's, that's touted a lot of the times as a potential solution to the housing crisis is taking advantage of vacant properties. Mm. Now, when we looked at the census data, we found that only about 10% of homes in the city centre were vacant on census night.
0: And Sean, I can hear people listening to this going, what are you talking about? Yeah. I'm walking past empty buildings every day. How could that only be 10%?
1: Yeah, well, look, it's, that's the official data. Um, look, look, you know our anecdotal experience can always kind of shape a bias yeah. in us when I saw the 10% myself I was a bit shocked um, but the,
0: the way it works is someone has to be in there to fill in a form and is it that okay and is it that perhaps some of what we're passing and in our minds clocking as vacant or derelict is actually commercial units that so won't fit into this category of residential
1: a- exactly yeah so I mean we could be looking at an office space and we could think you know somebody should be living in there, or is somebody living in there but it's not actually classed as a residential unit mm-hmm. at all mm-hmm. um, so that would be feeding into the statistics as well mm-hmm. um but it does say it's not as high as we might think now there's multiple levers you can pull to make the city centre more vibrant more occupied etc but maybe on the residential side it's just not as bad as we might think I think you know we've done research in the Chamber in the past where we looked at vacant dwellings and tried to decipher why they're vacant, and the vast majority of time they're vacant either because people are refurbishing them, um, which sometimes can be true and not true. People are having them up for rent or up for sale, or sometimes there's a lot of people that would be in nursing homes or hospitals. So when you're looking at vacancy as a potential solution, we also have to see why it's vacant it wouldn't necessarily be appropriate because a home is vacant because someone's in the hospital or nursing home that we're suddenly trying to get another family in there so i think that's what we have to be mindful of as well as the whole commercial point of view as well that so
0: so in terms of what the cso measure in in the in the census um we're not doing badly in terms of residential occupancy in Limerick City Centre, um, and so perhaps we, you know, maybe is there information available on the commercial, the vacancy or occupation? Well, the... that's
1: done through Geo Directory yeah. kind of once a quarter, and yeah. um, that is much worse. Yeah, um, I think you know oh, the, yeah. the the last time I looked at it, it would have been around the twenty percent mark for for the city centre here if you kind of go into wider areas of the midwest like shannon you know it's up over the 25 percent kill Rush isn't great newcastle west isn't great things like that so there's a lot of kind of work that needs to be done in there in terms of okay. can we get those bases turned into yeah. residential and it's something that we would have lobbied for yeah. throughout all our research as well but yeah there's definitely And there
0: are schemes the there, government have schemes to, yeah, to there, help people convert those in terms of planning permission it's not as difficult a process to apply for conversion of those units into Uh, residential occupied
1: yeah i look i i think the way the planning system is at the moment i wouldn't be making any promises but i definitely think that there is schemes out there for we'll say vacant and derelict homes now they have been getting a lot of um radio time in the media over the last couple of weeks in terms of their implementation so i would imagine there'll have to be some tweaks and changes made to that and i think it's even more important for us in in the city center here because about 19% of our housing stock was built pre-1919.
0: Okay, so what are the
1: implications of that? So the implications of that really is that it's expensive to renovate. They have gotten more expensive to buy. Um, there's the spillover implications from that is you might buy a Georgian property for 250000 um, finance through a mortgage. You also might want to, you know, get a mortgage top up or a loan or whatever that would cost you three hundred thousand. So now you're left with, you know, five hundred and fifty thousand that you've put into this, and the bank might turn around and say, "Well, we don't value it at five fifty; we only value it at 400 mm-hmm. which means that you know, for a lot of the time, it's a labor of love, um, that people want to do. They want to get living into these spaces. Because it's an awful shame in terms of architectural heritage mm-hmm. if we were to lose these buildings, because you know, anybody that's on the housing market and and at the moment will tell you that if you go and view a place, the longer it's vacant, the more in bad shape it is, the mm, more it costs to yeah. do, which is which is very, very difficult. Yeah. Um so what it says to us is things like live in cities needs needs tweaking. needs to focus on kind of owner occupiers or at least turning these spaces into cost rental where people can live in the city centre, and work in the city centre and have an affordable level of of rent.
0: Because that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean for people who might like to move into the city centre and who would take on, who would have who would have the ability and the energy to take on a big project like renovation it's the unknown factor it's the cost yeah. and the difficulty in getting financing around it so we what we see in in the last couple of years is you either have to have deep pockets and be able to afford to fund that yourself or we're seeing some activation of units by um, agencies and organs of the state to bring back into use which is also very welcome um, but we're not seeing the middle the average person getting a chance at that home ownership or occupancy in the city centre are we
1: no no it's it's very difficult now over the last year to private developers have been getting involved in it more um you know it seems that private developers don't really want to keep it on their books so they're looking to offload it um you know the first in the line might always be some some organ of the state to buy it for um you know sheltered or social housing i think when it comes to to kind of working people that you mentioned is there's a huge knowledge gap you know in terms of like can i do this what contractors do i get in what grants are out there but there's also the financial gap as well so unless you have a a large pot of money which many people don't it might be very difficult to do this because the access to finance is quite hard so Mm -hmm. we would have lobbied on that in the past in terms of making it a bit easier Mm. could you do a shared equity type scheme for these older homes to renovate them for people to live in them you know can we do it where developer does it for cost rental for affordable rental um and can the HBFI home building finance ireland take a closer look at this Mm -hmm. in terms of intervening and getting these houses back on the market because as i said it's 19 percent of the overall stock yeah it's a significant amount and,
0: and some might say the more attractive of the stock like the, the really lovely looking buildings are yeah, yeah
1: yeah absolutely i mean the exteriors are, are are fantastic difficult to maintain we know that from our own building on, mm-hmm. on 96 o'connell street um it's but it's very important to the fabric at the city center but when you think of, like unique selling points that limerick might have like the Georgian core and even the other houses that might not necessarily be Georgian is, is a unique selling point mm-hmm. that we have. Um, and if you walk around and look at the buildings recently that have had their bricks repointed, etc., they look absolutely fantastic. Yeah, amazing. Um, and if yeah. you were to have
0: a lovely cohort of those in the city yeah. centre, that's really attractive. Oh yeah, gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. So in terms of um, of tenancy, and tenure in the city centre what did we learn about those people living in the city centre Yes.
1: Yeah, so um I said previously that the the figure rented from the private rental accommodation was about 67%. 67 percent Sixty seven. it's okay. it's actually about 59 percent okay yeah so um I was kind of combining that with the local authority AHB okay. rental as well so okay. um just uh just probably to go back on that the the real interesting one and the very very worrying one is that only seven percent of the people in the city centre own their own homes. Now, Limerick Chamber are very strong in terms of home ownership, and the reason because of that is there's a logical reason rather than you know an ideological reason behind it. Is that if you look at the data for pensions mm-hmm. and what people have available to them, now it's not great. Even the people that have pensions, a lot of those don't feel it will um, facilitate those into retirement. So if we're operating a housing model where people are renting now, never own their own homes, they'll be relying on the state into retirement to, the fund s- rent rent, to, to fund their
0: rent fun into fund their accommodation into exactly. their old age. Yeah, 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 to, yeah. To, to
1: fund it into their old age, or worse, they could be relying on the private market, which will be yeah. impossible. Yeah. So if we don't sort that now, where again you have this millenni- millennial generation mm-hmm. that are struggling to buy homes. When they retire, they're going to be relying on the state. You could have a wave of, you know, retiree homelessness if we actually don't get yeah. a, a good grapple on it now.
0: Yeah, and this is something we've spoken about often, often that they like with the demographic bulge that's coming through the system, and the housing shortages that we've seen over the last decade, the low supply. We are, and and the increased amount of people forced to rent because they don't have alternatives, um, we are facing a, a potential worrying increase in old age homelessness. And that's something we absolutely have to try and avoid at all costs. Um, so that number of only 7% of the people living in the city centre owning their own home is concerning.
1: It is it is and uh, it's 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 something that has to be mindful of the problem is in ireland like that's you know maybe 25 30 years out and you know we tend to plan in kind of five year uh, general election blocks <laughs> which makes it quite difficult to forward plan and i think we're struggling to get a hold of housing and the existing need as it is
0: okay before we move on to the survey results and our recommendations talk to me a little bit about how these people get around how they where they work and what do we know about their, their commuting habits?
1: Yeah, so I suppose in, in, in terms of working, the, the CSO data outlined an unemployment rate of about 10% in the city centre, which is quite high. Now, they don't calculate unemployment the, the same way as we're used to it. They kind of give a broad scope of where people are in terms of, you know, are they looking after the home? You know, are they looking after a sick relative, etc, etc. So overall, about 60% of people were working at the time. 10% were unemployed in the proper definition of unemployment. Willing and able to work is essentially okay. what it is. Okay. And the remaining 29% were, you know, they might be sick um, or have a disability. They might be looking after the home of their family. They're a student or they're retired. Okay. So the 10% is quite worrying. That's well over kind of the average we're at for the the, the Midwest region. About 4.5%? You know, yeah, around yeah. the 4.5% yeah. now. So it's almost double um, that that's isn't... not necessarily what you want in the in the city center you know you would like it to be lower given the proximity to employment given the proximity to uh, to transport connections and that's something that we can kind of see when we boil down as well into the different kind of male female groups and where they're at in their life so people that are working in terms of males more males work than females you know, possibly because they're looking after the care home, etc., cetera, yeah. care and duties. Yeah. What's interesting is there's more males that are long-term unemployed than females. Okay. So that's something that we need to look at as well in terms of activation yeah. and do those males require something some additional help? Um, another thing is, you know, obviously there's a large skew of females that look after the home, um, care for family members, et cetera. Um, and when we go to the likes of retired and all that it's pretty much uh bang on um so there's some areas where there's a skew kind of towards one sex or the other um and i think as well if you were to look at the educational kind of background of the city center is that you know kind of around the two three percent mark have no formal education at all in the city center you know, um, which is a bit worrying. But I suppose you know, given the demographics, there is still older people that live in the city centre. Mm-hmm. It might not have been as important, um, you know, in my or as accessible, yeah, or as accessible, yeah. you know, in my my parents or even my grandparents' yeah. Yeah. time. You know, um, and then it's kind of relatively evenly split. So if we look at kind of the percentage of the population that has a primary or secondary, um, education at the highest, it's twenty two percent in terms of a vocational cert or apprenticeship it's about 14% bachelor's degree is 17% okay. and kind Very of post grad masters is around the 10% so you know as expected the higher the education the lower the share but still the most uh, popular the most kind of common you know frequent or common share is those people that only have primary and secondary education. School leavers. Yeah, school leavers. Yeah. Um yeah. so you know they, they would have finished either their junior cert or inter cert or whatever it was It's Simon Leaving Cert and then went to then went to work. To work yeah. Um so that's the most popular cohort in the city centre. Yeah. And you know if that's working then great. I mean, you know, one of the things that we've seen over the last decade really is that not everyone has to have that formal education. You know, we have one of the highest educated pop populations in europe and a lot of the time it results in us kind of being overeducated or skills mismatched with the job that we want so i think mm-hmm. that's why we've seen a good rise in the number of apprenticeships short courses etc you know and that's something that limerick chamber skill net would look out for as well on behalf mm-hmm. of our, uh, our 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 members you know if you kind of look at the employment in the city center in terms of industry so where they're working most people are working in professional services so that's kind of advisory accountancy finance etc um the second most popular one is commerce and trade so a lot of that would be around around retail um and then manufacturing industries transport are both around eight percent only two percent are in construction Um, okay so quite low Mm -hmm. and you would imagine that giving the need we have in houses at the moment but then again those people could be living out in the suburbs they could be living rural etc
0: given the the good transport links from the city center you know surprising that it's that low yeah yeah but go Um, on I did actually start asking you there about about commuting habits so now you and necessarily you obviously told me where and what people were doing yeah so from there
1: so I suppose the, the the commuting habits is is pretty interesting So the people that are living in the city centre are more likely to walk, um, which which is good because it makes sense that if you're living in the city centre, you can walk to work. That's why when Limerick Chamber is talking about building housing and sustainability and this and that, is that if you build houses in the right location, then you really don't need to worry about transport because yeah. people can just walk to work. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of people, like when I lived in Dublin, I was able to walk to work. Mm. I didn't need to get to Lewis. I didn't need to get mm-hmm. the bus. It was fantastic. And it was much cheaper for me. Mm-hmm. That's what we'd like to move to in the city centre mm-hmm. where you have that housing option and then you can walk down the road to work as well. You know, car driving is the second most popular um, and we see that reflected in the number of cars owned in the city centre as well. That
0: was an unusual figure, I thought.
1: It 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 was it was very high. Um, I think it's much higher than what people were expecting. So if we kind of segue onto that, about forty three percent of people living in the city centre, you know, households have a car. So that's the core city centre. So it's quite a lot. If you match that up with the number of kind of available public parking spaces, not including private, it eats into about 40% of those spaces that are available. So when we're thinking of congestion transport in the city, we have to be mindful that a lot of the parking spaces that are on street, if they're not used in private, are taken up by residents of the city centre. Yeah. And you would wonder, I suppose... Is that a requirement because we have the likes of Bus Connects coming online now? Hopefully at some stage we'll have a light rail system to take you around Limerick, take you around the Midwest.
0: And now, Sean, where are you going with this? Go
1: <laughs> Yeah, I don't want, want to be getting too blue <laughs> sky. I'm getting too, getting too positive here. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think as well, like one thing that's really worked is a, is a really unique selling point of Limerick and living in Limerick and living in the Midwest is the travel time. So yes. I think about, you know, about 40% of people get to where they need to be within kind of the, the 30 minute mark. Um,
0: Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Like when so, you think about it, the hours people are in traffic, God God yeah. love them on the, the East Coast.
1: Yeah. So like if if you think of it, and I'm going to put on my Limerick jersey here, is that if you compare it to Cork, Galway, Dublin, Limerick or Miles Ahead, mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. So what we need to do now is we need to protect that um, mm-hmm. because we've seen over the last while that people are willing to leave Dublin if they have the good jobs that they want and move back home and the better w- quality of life after. and the better quality of life and obviously the time you spend in traffic feeds into that mm-hmm. I suppose what's worth it in mentioning the 40% there is that 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 40% is 40% of 53% so it's a bit confusing I'd say to people look at it you've
0: lost me completely in
1: yeah. the it's so 40%. It's in it's 40% in the CSO data we have we have journey time mm-hmm. okay and we have 47% of people didn't answer the question. Okay. And 53% answered the question. Okay. So, in total, of the Reported. people Exactly. Yeah, so, of yeah, the people yeah. that answered the question, we have about 40% that spend less than a half an hour getting to where they need to be.
0: Okay. And it's a, it's a
1: real unique okay. selling point that that we have here in Limerick, you know. Okay. And that, I suppose, brings us
0: nicely onto the survey part of it. So. Now, we, talk to me about that. How did we conduct the survey? How many respondents do we know uh, that we got? Um, and and tell me what the, the key findings were in it
1: yeah so the survey was open to absolutely everyone as long as they had kind of some stakeholder position in the city centre be it at a charity be it a resident be it a kid going to school be it someone living in dublin that loves to come back home on the weekend and walk through the milk market so it wasn't geared towards just chamber members or whatever else because we know what's good for stakeholders is actually good for our members as well because they'll come in spend more time spend more money mm-hmm. um and hopefully uh, elongate their membership with the chamber as well but i i think you know it was interesting in the sense that we got over about 500 respondents um which was pretty decent in terms of a sample and margin of error that we were looking for
0: in this in october 23
1: yeah, yeah. around that time yeah, yeah, yeah. around the, around kind of Um, Q3, Q4 In in the middle there But what was interesting as well Is the mix of people that responded So we had a fantastic mix of... We'll say chamber members and non-chamber members so it really allowed us to kind of view it holistically and not from a purely chamber perspective
0: yeah and just we, for people's information we pushed it out across through our own channels which would, would have been our own newsletter e-newsletter that goes through our to 15 1700 contacts on our on our email database um but also through our social media channels through X, through Instagram, and through LinkedIn. So it was publicly open as as well as targeting our membership. Yeah, and look, there
1: there was a massive WhatsApp push as well. There was a big push. I'm I'm, I'm sure a a lot of people listening to this probably got the link sent on through WhatsApp. Um, but I think, you know, if you look at the survey data at a high level, about 55% were living in Limerick City, you know, 27% living in the county, 12% in Clare, 4% in Tip, and about 3% outside the Midwest. So we kind of got a good scope there of of people, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the questions that we're interested in asking, you know, and I suppose we need to ask these difficult questions to come up with solutions to where we want to be, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, did people want to live in the city centre or not? Um, and I suppose you know the the key point was that sixty one percent of people did not want to live in the city centre. Mm. You know, you could look at it more positively and say for for thirty nine percent of people did want to live in the city centre. Mm-hmm. Um, but the facts are the facts, and it's you know it's mm-hmm. it's it's not great. Now. What's interesting is when you boil that down, we ask people why they wanted to live here or why they didn't want to live here. So, in terms of people not living here, you know, antisocial behaviour was quite top of the charts, which, you know, is quite commonplace in Irish cities at the moment. There is staff an issue with the Gardaí, um getting people out there, and we do a lot of work in that in the chamber. In yeah, terms I was going to
0: of... say it's been a, a recurring theme for us this year, and unfortunately, something that we've seen uh, increase uh, and grow oh, since we've emerged from the pandemic, um, that increase in antisocial uh, behaviour and kind of a nonchalance about about certain cohorts unfortunately around town. It's not just happening in the city centre, it's happening in the suburbs, it's happening in villages and towns across the county and across the country. And so, you know, not surprising to see it highlighted here as a concern for some people.
1: No, and look from talking to chamber colleagues around Ireland, it's something that everyone is grappling with. Yeah. Um you know moving on 21% of people just prefer the suburbs or the countryside
0: yeah Um, it's just the
1: preference that they have they might have grown up there they might like the space you know they might like that it's probably lower pollutants from from cars in their area Mm -hmm. but it's just a simple fact that those people prefer it and you're probably not going to change their minds no but it's the other people that we can kind of get a hold of and make make um changes so I think you know lack of suitable accommodation which if you go back to people not having a garden for their dog for their kids Mm -hmm. the apartment might not be big enough was the third most popular and then kind of running down through you know congestion and noise I think look those things come with a city Mm. it's funny because you know people didn't want to live in the city because of the congestion and the noise and then on the other side of it People that wanted to live in the city centre wanted to live there because of that noise, because of the vibrancy yeah, you get living yeah, in a city. Yeah. So it's funny in a way that for someone that can be a real turn off. And then for other people, it's a real attraction. Um, and then you kind of go down, you know, proximity to home or work um, on, on clean you know that's something that cities struggle with would you have that amount of people live in an area can we do better absolutely Definitely. but I mean it's always something that's mm-hmm. going to be a bit inherent yeah. in cities that it's, it's not going to be a suburban location with lower traffic but on the positive side if we look at why people wanted to live in the city centre you know convenience was the most popular one 72% and greater access to amenities yes. um, so like doctors, schools, yeah. you know social activities etc.
0: Culture, s- culture, restaurants, yeah. coffee shops parks you know all the all the things you'd associate with that lovely vibrant urban life exactly it's all the stuff that come with living in
1: the city center being able to walk around the people's park doing the Tree bridges walk you know stopping in for a pint in your favorite pub etc people like that Mm -hmm. um it's just we need more of that in the city center so i think vibrancy atmosphere city charm was the second Mm -hmm. most popular that was a huge draw for people and a lot of people felt that the city centre had better services, recreational offer, offering and amenities. And that, that is kind of true, I suppose. You know, you have a lot in the city centre here that you might not have in a suburban or rural location. Um, so it's interesting to kind of look at the duality between those two. We also ask people kind of how often they visit the city centre. Yeah, you know, because what
0: this is interesting because we do also have stats on what the daytime occupancy of the city centre is and the, and then the residential occupancy. And of course, the population of the city centre swells during the daytime hours when the shops are open, the, rest, the restaurants are open and the offices are full. Um Contributing to the challenges around, you know, noise and cleanliness and all those good things. But um, how often were the respondents saying they come into the city centre?
1: So most people come into the city centre more than once a week. Um, So we ask people when they come into the city centre to shop. Um, browse or socialize so if people are coming into the city center every day of the week for work you know that's kind of irrelevant in a way for this one um so most kind of regular people in terms of shopping browsing socializing come in more than once a week the second most popular one was about once a week and then it kind of tails off after that you know it's interesting that browsing or shopping people come in more frequently than socializing so for browsing and shopping, people will come in that more once a week. But in terms of socializing, they might come in once a month, which is the most popular aspect there. So if they're meeting their friends for a drink or for dinner, et cetera, they come in. Oh, less okay. Often. So
0: while they they prefer socializing, they're not doing it as often as they're as they're shopping.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. And look, that's that's something that has come out after COVID, as well as that people seem to be maybe not socializing less, but definitely drinking less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think the cost of living will probably bite into that as well you know it costs you nothing to browse um, and hang around it does cost money to socialise most of the time unless it's a free cultural activity or whatever and going back to your previous point then as well on our overall chamber strategy the chamber strategy being to have an all-day footfall in the city centre mm-hmm. that's driven by people living here and people working here. Um, you know, most people visit the city centre between nine in the morning and five in the afternoon, and after that it just completely drops off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, then, as well as driven by school traffic for the schools here, they finish you know at three mm-hmm. o'clock or whatever, yeah. and they go getting the bus home. So it's 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 a bit of an issue. I think if you look at how long people spend in the city centre, it's between one and two hours. Um. So it's 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 relatively long, but not great. Worryingly, for retail, thirty seven percent of people shop in person less now than pre pandemic. Isn't yeah. So it's 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 quite substantial. It's something that that's people. That's a huge
0: change in habits, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, and it's, a,
1: it's it's a huge. I mean, change. we knew it, but to get that number, yeah. And it, look, that's reflected as well in like where people like to shop. So online was the most. The third most popular option, second most popular option was Limerick City Centre, and the first option was the Crescent Shopping Centre. And this, you know, we carried out a number of consumer sentiment service throughout the year. Crescent Shopping Centre has always won. If you kind of group them all together and say, what brings people into a certain shopping location, the biggest one is convenience and proximity to where they're living or proximity to where they're working. So if you take that data and say, we want more people shopping in the city centre, we know that the number one thing people do is they shop close to where they're working or where they're living. So if you want retail to grow in the city centre, then you simply get more people with money to live in the city centre.
0: And are we capturing grocery? In that, in that statistic,
1: yeah, that'd be yeah. kind of yeah, that'd it's be included in that. Yeah, shopping. it'd be part yeah. of the overall okay. shopping. Okay, you know, uh, car parking is something that people look at as well. Safety and cleanliness. So these are yeah. all things that feed into why people decide to shop where locations. Yeah, I yeah. but I think it's important to know we kind of go through this and the recommendations as well. Is that the city centre offers a different experienced in shopping centres and we shouldn't be trying to emulate a shopping centre we would we should try to be leaning into what makes us unique it's the vibrancy but also looking at how we can collaborate with shopping centres. You know, the shopping centres in Limerick are a huge draw from people all over the Midwest.
0: That's right, because they don't have the equivalent in terms of our Crescent Shopping Centre in Galway or even in Cork. So it's quite unusual and attractive.
1: Yeah, and look, even Clare and Tipperary as well. So what we should be seeing is... How can we get people that are out in the Crescent for one or two hours to then come into the city centre for one or two Absolutely. hours? Absolutely, how and do we how, connect them? You know, and how we can collaborate in that in that regard. If you look at people like why the city centre isn't their preferred place to shop, they feel like there's a lack of retail variety, um, you know, and parking and cost of parking is a huge issue for people as well. I suppose if someone is used to free sh- parking in a shopping centre, it can be a bit tough to handle in, if you're paying for it in the city centre. Um, but I think we need to lean in and, is that, boy, it's worth paying that money to get the ambience and that experience mm-hmm. and the vibrancy mm-hmm. that you're not really going to get anywhere else. And I suppose, again, look, people have concerns in terms of antisocial behaviour for, for city centres, which, again, isn't unusual for an Irish city centre at the moment. You know, I, I, I think it's interesting if you... We asked a lot of questions in terms of active travel, which is cycling, walking, running, public transport, etc. We asked people how they get to the city centre currently, and about 64% use their car to get into the city centre. So quite a substantial amount. You'd imagine that those people aren't really living within walking distance of the city centre. Maybe they are, but the second most popular option was walking to the city centre with 22% of people you know and then we kind of got into the real controversial questions um, I was looking forward to the results on these myself I know it's a hot topic in Limerick is uh, do you think the city centre has enough car parking spaces so 49% of people said no and 47% of people said yes so there's un- that is almost equal it, it is almost equal so I think if you're to look at the discourse around parking and availability of parking it might not be as much of an issue as people think. Um, you know, we had over 500 people fill this in, businesses, non-business, charities, whatever, etc. And it's as simple that there's almost an even split between the amount of people that think there's enough car parking and there isn't enough car parking. So it's, it, it, it's quite an interesting one. And mm-hmm. um, to be fair, the majority of people, regardless, feel that parking is too high and um, the cost of parking, is, cost too of high. parking is too yeah. high and another interesting one is and again you know almost an even split on this one as well is that you think the city center has enough bicycle spaces so kind of safe and secure spaces to park your bike you know 34% of people declined to answer so they didn't have skin in the game they didn't know if they needed it or whatever but 32% of people said yeah the city center does have enough bicycle spaces But you know The winner in this one Again by a By a very small margin Was 34% of people Felt that the city centre Does not have enough Bike spaces Mm. And you know I think um, It's definitely something We can work on It's something that's been Started already With the Limerick City And Council And their bike bunkers And then you know that kind of brings us nicely on to the the final section where we took the census data where we took the survey data yeah we kind of blended them together and tried to spit out a couple of recommendations that are achievable um very realistic they're not necessarily blue sky recommendations they're something that could be very easily implemented by the right directly elected mayor Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And important to note as well That they're in line With current government policy So while you and I can have Whatever views we like On city centre car parking spaces And should we have a cycle lane Should we not have a cycle lane Do we need more more bike parking facilities the reality is the government is endorsing and significantly investing in active and sustainable uh, travel and so we will continue to see more investment into these areas into the future for a variety of reasons that that as we can see there seems to be an even split in views as to whether they're right or wrong
1: yeah and look if if you kind of just look at it logically to be fair the population is going to keep growing growing Ireland is one of the fastest-growing populations in the EU. Not everyone is going to be able to drive. Mm-hmm. It's it's just as simple as that, because if everyone starts driving, we're going to end up in the same position as Cork, Galway, Dublin, mm-hmm. where the congestion is just choked, a, a yeah. killer, it's yeah, choked up, yeah, it's yeah. strangling the economy, mm. people are losing hours commuting to work, mm. you know, it's it's a bit of a nightmare. So how do we get ahead of that now in Limerick before we have that problem? And putting in that infrastructure, I suppose, as little... Um, you know kind of impact as as possible in terms of other road users is great but i think you know it's the simple fact that it is government policy it's something that will be used when it's there like cycling infrastructure walking infrastructure even public transport and cars so it's all kind of a, a solution to the problem but again going back if you put houses in the right area it kind of negates a lot of the need for... And
0: and also just to, just to, you know, play devil's advocate there and point out that cyclists are also road users. And so, you know, we've had the dominance of cars and on the roads for a growing number and an increased dominance of cars only in the last century. Um If you went back 100 years, an awful lot more bicycles around the place and uh, and really perhaps it's about addressing that a little bit. And yeah, it's, improving it, it's, balance it's, it's, there.
1: it's interesting if I listen to, you know, my, my, my dad telling me a story like back in back in his day, mm. um a, a lot more people used to cycle around the place and sometimes he kind of realises, wow, like we've really went in the opposite yeah, direction yeah. here. My and parents
0: grew up in Corby and cycled to school or took the bus to school and every day. Day, home for their lunch and back in again <laughs>
1: yeah and to be fair look as, as a as a car driver myself um, it can be a dirty thing to admit sometimes these <laughs> days but I would much prefer a cyclist to have safe infrastructure correct um, yeah. than be on a road with other cars because what even one of the major things on Irish roads is they're lit so badly
0: yeah, and that's the journey we're on, isn't it? That's yeah. the the process we're going through in Limerick at the moment, trying to connect people from where they live to where they work or study, and uh, and through with where possible segregated, um, cycling cycling lanes and better improved pedestrian facilities. And, and it's not completed so we won't be able to gauge the success of it until we complete it and we drive uh, we put a big campaign around putting pe- getting people interested in using that, that absolutely and, and, and
1: look we have um, I'd say we have about a million roundabouts in Limerick at this stage so it's very important that you crack the roundabout issue in terms of cycling it, it, it can be a bit hard you know where you have a cycle end that's running into a roundabout and then kind of everyone is ending up on the one spot yeah. so you know, it's it's where we met a number of recommendations in the past in Limerick Chamber in our submissions that we kind of look at that European model for roundabouts and how we tackle that issue and make it safe for pedestrian yeah. cyclists and um you know motorized vehicles and i think that brings us on to our uh our barrage of recommendations that we have at the end of our report so you didn't you didn't hold back I, i you had a
0: few thoughts i
1: i didn't hold back and i hope i i hope i won't get in trouble for any of these and and step on people's toes but um i mean look we have 60 plus recommendations that are based completely off empirical data from the from the census from the survey um you know, they come from a place of wanting to propel Limerick into where we think it can be. And I think with Limerick, a lot of people, you know, get frustrated because we think we have a lot of potential built up that we're not Mm realising. And I think that's actually a very good place to be where there's a lot of people, you know, we might not agree on how to get there, which is fine. That's just... Reality, but I mean, we all know that there's potential there. We're just not realising it. Mm -hmm. And I think that you know, everyone has different ideas and how to realise it. And the chamber isn't absolute in this. Like we're always willing to work with people and compromise, etc. So I suppose you know, to 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 start off with the nerdy uh, economist stuff that would uh, would entice people like me to look at this more. I think we really need to clearly define what a city centre is. Um, I think the governments need to do that. They certainly need to do it in the eyes of reviewing the national planning framework, which is kind of happening around this time. Um, We need to do that because...
0: Yeah, remind us. Why is this
1: important? Why is this important? Because essentially, I could build a thousand houses tomorrow in the likes of Groody or wherever else, and it would count as towards the urbanisation targets of Project Ireland twenty forty. We all we all know that Groody in that area isn't part of the urban; it's the suburban area. But like, we need to define it if we're going to set realistic targets and make a change here. Where we live denser lives,
0: and again, go you know. go one level one level higher again for people. Why are we trying to revitalise our city centre? Is it uh, for the benefit of our members who work who own buildings in the city centre, but or, or what? I,
1: I, look, this this benefits everyone. It's as simple as that, right? We've had a donut effect in Limerick and most Irish cities over the last you know decade. Certainly, since I've been on this planet, which isn't too long to be fair, <laughs> and um, you know. What happened is we had a lovely thriving city centre 30 years ago, um, urban centres. Then we started planning in suburban areas. People got pushed further out. Then the city centre became hollowed out and all the infrastructure, you know, GPs, shopping centres all started being pushed out. And what we have now is we have this sprawl, but a pretty small population, which Mm. means that it's harder to gain access to services, you know, because you're serving a smaller population. If you have more people living in a city centre you have more people that can walk to work. If you have more people that are living in a city centre, then you can put a hospital or GP's office or school right there that services a massive amount of people. Um, I suppose, you know, given where we're going in terms of the climate as well, it it means people don't have to have a car. Now, they can choose to have a car for sure, but I mean they don't have to have one. It's it, not a requirement. Yeah. So it's good planning to live in city centres. That's why when you go to like Edinburgh, Paris, Amsterdam, they have lovely built up city centres where people actually really, really want to live.
0: Yeah, and albeit much higher populations than ours, but if we want to uh, to to grow our population in a thoughtful way, it's about that maximising our existing potential, uh, utilising the money that's already been invested, the planning that's already been done by our forefathers into good streets, good parks, um, and and using what's already in place in terms of public infrastructure um, to the best capacity instead of, ever-increasing sprawl uh requiring more schools on the burbs more roads in the burbs more you know etc etc so it's about that core density um to ensure that we're making the best use of our existing um public infrastructure
1: yeah exactly and that's it it's about getting us where we think we should be um, you know, and it's not necessarily saying Limerick should be a counterbalance to Dublin or whatever. I think Limerick should be its whole own thing, to be honest. Which I don't think it should be a I Dublin agreed. light. Dublin has too many issues. We have a lot to learn from Dublin mm-hmm. that we don't have to go through here as our population grows. But to kind of kick these off, I won't run through them all. and no, um, no, I'd advise we'll people just kind of have a read of it if they're interested. in yeah, give us your we, favorite ones. You know, my my fa- <laughs> my favorite. If ones, I had to pick if, I, if if I had to pick. You know, they're they're all my children, yeah. and uh, <laughs> it would be very difficult but i think you know city centre focus surveys are critical to to understand where the sentiment is that's something that we're doing in the chamber so that's really kind of a recommendation for ourselves that we need to keep this going and i suppose it's important to highlight as well as part of this recommendations as part of this report the essence of this report is that we all need to take responsibility every city centre stakeholder needs to take responsibility to improve the area it doesn't necessarily lie on the shoulders of of one organization now they might have more power or they might have more of a remit okay. but you know when it comes to the likes of maintaining buildings etc yeah it's, so, so, it's something we can so all be
0: building doing. owners uh, people renting offices people living in apartments um retailers uh, the local authority all stakeholders in the city center yeah
1: and then there's us as well um, you know, and we have to keep doing what, what, what we're doing to bring this evidence base forward mm-hmm. um, and keep propelling Limerick in terms of research and kind of lobbying for Limerick with uh, TDs and ministers, etc. You know, um, I think it's 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 critical, you know, going back to the original one, that we set up some sort of portal. And by we, I suppose, I mean Ireland, uh, you know, be it the Department of Housing and the CSO, that we have a portal for city data Um, and that's the point of Mm -hmm. you know the CSO comes out every four or five years etc that we're able to tap into this on probably a yearly basis and we can tell how many people are living here what's their incomes you know is it a diverse range of incomes what their jobs are etc etc we don't do that at the moment it's really poor and if you're implementing a policy where you want to see for example I want to boost English proficiency in the city centre you know To be able to just tap into an online data portal and see where we're at kind of currently is great rather than carrying out bespoke pieces of data analysis each time if we can keep this up and running on a regular basis and it would only be every year as well you couldn't really do it much more often than that we can assess policy interventions, mm. you know, which is very hard to do without the right data. So mm-hmm. we're kind of shooting in the in the dark. You okay, know, enough, I, the I, I, enough of the nerdy stuff, go on. Enough of the nerdy stuff. So I'm trying to find stuff that, that isn't nerdy here, D, you <laughs> know, because it's all empirical. But I, I think another, another interesting one is in terms of Gardaí resources in the city centre there's I think it's about 19 Gardaí are in Mulgrave Street courts um court service that could be put
0: back onto the beat here some of which are seeking clarity yeah, at the moment from exa- the Minister for Justice as to how many of them could be released back to the Henry Street Division yeah
1: exactly so yeah. you know when you have people that are worried about anti-social behaviour or even Garda visibility that would go a long way if we could get some of those people
0: out when you think about the limited number that are coming out every year from Temple Moor exactly you know to get a, a cohort released from, yeah. from Morgan, I mean look great. This,
1: this is a Department of Justice issue it's not a local guarantee issue like we're very supportive of the guarantee here but look it goes back to you know management of funding and allocation of funding etc and I think what's important as part of that as well is that you know, a lot of resources for the Gardaí is met off reporting. So what we would say to people and, you know, we'll be running a campaign in relation to this is that if you see something, do report it because yeah, it's, it's con- critical. Yeah,
0: continual be- message that yeah, we have for because people. Because yeah. it
1: feeds into the CSO yeah. data and that yeah. CSO data then feeds into human resource planning yeah, for exactly. does Limerick get enough guards. So what we would like to see in the future is the Department of Justice moves a type of workforce planning where they do it off population. Yeah. and they don't necessarily do it off reported and they,
0: incidents. They just don't have the capacity to do that at the moment. But So at the moment, it's whoever's shouting the loudest and wherever there's the most reported issues is what's getting the attention or has the strongest... Uh, evidence for lobbying for more resources and we need to be able to support that by reporting crimes
1: yeah and i look i think the other one is the living cities initiative we've mentioned it already we do a lot of lobbying on that okay Um, for
0: those who don't know what the living cities initiative is
1: yeah the living cities initiative is essentially a scheme whereby people can get a tax break to develop old uh Properties that are built before a certain time. At the moment, it's just very difficult to do. It's very difficult to access the appropriate level of funding. There's a couple of barriers in it, and it's kind of more focused towards people that might already have the money to undertake it anyway. You know, I think just in terms of like a lot of our stuff, focus on aesthetics and vibrancy, vibrancy of the city centre. We'd like to see you know a painting grant scheme similar to that of Cork City. You know, a project to remove or hide you know the wide that go across streets um, the canteenery wires the wires that run up old georgian buildings they're very unsightly you know i was sitting in a coffee shop one day i looked across and i saw this lovely building absolutely riddled in wires and i was thinking do they even have to be there in the first place you know i think another one is a signage improvement grant again they do this great in cork city council there's a regulations around signage what can be done um, it's something you could roll into our kind of Irish language focus as well mm-hmm. whereby people can get a grant to reinvigorate their their shop front. and this rolls on then into the shop improvement scheme which is a similar thing so if you look at Dunleary Rathdown County Council they've had some amazing results recently we're renovating shop fronts they're absolutely beautiful but there's a lot of places and a lot of local authorities that do this we just don't do it in Limerick at the moment and essentially it means that a building owner a shop owner will get grant to do up the front of their shop and it's much nicer than kind of what we have yeah. at the moment which is really haphazard and a bit of an a bit of an ugly approach to yeah. to city center so it's it it's not great you know i think we need to um provide policy to the supports the delivery of larger homes in the city centre so people can raise families here and have comfortable facilities i think that's kind of critical when you look at the demographics that are in the report you know affordable housing is is critical to us the likes of the repair and leasing scheme or buy and renew scheme if they could be expanded um you know, uh, commercial vacant commercial properties, I think there has to be a lot of responsibility there for the building owners that have those properties, yeah. you know, in terms of maintaining the front of them. You know, if they are vacant, maybe not making it look like a, like yeah. a bunker and actually doing something with the front windows and maintaining the front of it. And also you know. to
0: examine ways that they can bring them back into productive use. Back into productive yeah. use yeah. as well. Like yeah.
1: meanwhile use is something that we speak a lot about whereby there can be a break in commercial rates if, you know, an art gallery pop-up or some other type of pop-up is using it in the meantime. You know, um, I think if, you know, introduce policy that ensures city centre residential development has an element of affordable um, purchase and cost rental, you know.
0: Okay, Sean, and, and if people would like to go through, as you said, how many 60... Sixty.
1: I think it's
0: 63 63 um, yeah. recommendations that are specified who they're, who they're geared at and what the detail is um, they can do that by going to download the report from our website under the influence section and have a look at it there and just to be clear I know you mentioned a couple of schemes there that are happening run by other local authorities we didn't find any one local authority that's doing this perfectly in, no. in the whole country what we've done is we've tried to learn from best practices and examples around the country and and pull them into this report to give us food for thought um, when we're um, discussing these matters with our elected representatives at the local authority and at uh, Dáil, um and uh, and the Shannad. Where to next with this report? Because we've put huge effort into it. And we've had the opportunity to talk to, um, to to talk to to various elected reps about it. We mentioned it to the Taoiseach when we had him for our president's dinner this year. We had a, an opportunity to discuss it with the Thonisto also, and we'll be doing briefings with the different stakeholders. Um, over the course of twenty twenty four, so what so I I, I think
1: look what this is for us is this is essentially it's a strategy or blueprint for what we want in the city centre. Some of the stuff is underway now. To be fair, as well, you know, um, but I think what it, it's going to act for us as a lobbying document. The local elections are next year. The directly elected mayor election is next year. And when we're meeting politicians and potential candidates, we're going to be showing them this in in conjunction with all the other work that we do for the whole county and the whole Midwest and saying, is this is what we want to see? You know, is is this something that that you're going to be in a position to deliver? This is how we want to see the city centre develop. And we're going to use that for those elections, but also people that are, are, again, stakeholders in the city centre.
0: Okay, okay, folks, and we're going to leave it there. As I said, you can access the full report on our website, limerickchamber.ie, under the Influence section. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on the results and the recommendations and engage with you further on it. My thanks to my colleague, Sean Golden, our Chief Economist, for his time today and his work in putting together this, uh, this great report that we're very proud of. And my thanks to our Chamber Board, our President, Mary McConnor, and to the Chair of our Policy Committee Past President Dunnaker Hurley for his time and guidance and support, and, and the support of all the policy committee in, in the output um, from the chamber policy team this year. Sean, all that's left for me to say is happy Christmas to you.
1: Merry Christmas, T.
0: And um, looking forward to driving forward with this with you in 2024.
1: Likewise.